0: This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. So we are indeed in the season of Epiphany, that time of year when we look to the light of Christ to illumine our way, to bring us out of the darkness, to be, in the words of the psalmist, a lamp unto our feet. And so in our liturgy today, we hear this theme of enlightenment repeated in song, lesson, and prayer. For example, in our opening prayer, we called upon Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to shine upon us now and forever. For our canticle of praise and gospel acclamation, which we just sang, we joyfully say, arise, your light has come. And in our first lesson, we heard God promise the prophet Isaiah a Messiah who will be a light to the nations. And then in the gospel text I just read, John the Baptist points to Jesus, urging us to look and behold the one who is coming into the world. And Jesus likewise invites his disciples to come and see the season of Epiphany is filled with images of light and seeing. The word epiphany, of course, means a sudden manifestation of the divine, a revealing moment of great insight, a clarifying and unexpected glimpse into the truth of things. Biblically, the epiphany refers specifically to Matthew's account of the Magi following the sudden appearance of a star in the east to visit the infant Jesus in Bethlehem. But the concept of epiphany carries a broader theological meaning of God's ongoing revelatory activity in the world. The writer John Updike, who like me, couldn't make up his mind if he was a Lutheran or an Episcopalian, (laughs) was a member of my summer chapel in Manchester near the end of his life, and he is buried in my little church's memorial garden. Updike, who loved exploring religious themes in his novels and short stories, once said this about why he was a believer. If there is no God, he wrote, then the world is nothing more than a freak show and I do not experience the world as a freak show. And then he added, It is not that I have had a beatific vision or some other emphatically clear message from God. It is rather that I keep hearing whispers from the wings of the stage. I love that phrase, whispers from the wings of the stage whether it be through a vision or a whisper, I am convinced that God is in one way or the other constantly seeking us out, making known his presence, guiding us, surprising us, cajoling us, challenging us, revealing aspects of his infinite mystery to us. And every once and so often, if we pay attention, we may be invited to experience something so incandescent, so illuminating, so compelling, that the moment changes us forever. I've been blessed by a few such epiphanies in my own life, the most remarkable of which happened over 20 years ago, just before Christmas. I was at the time a busy lawyer at a big firm in Washington, D.C., although I had just embarked upon the process of discerning whether I might be called to change my vocation and to pursue a call in ministry. I had talked with my rector, made my application, and was waiting to hear from the diocese whether I would be invited to move forward toward seminary and ordination. Then one morning a call came from my rector telling me that my bishop at the time, the late Jane Dixon, had just announced her retirement and that this would mean that any decision about my candidacy for the priesthood would have to wait for at least a year, maybe longer, until a new bishop was elected. I was crestfallen I was in my mid-40s, and the thought of having to wait for another year or two for a decision about whether I could even start the three- to five-year process toward ordination seemed too much to bear. At the time, I was also incredibly swamped at the office, preparing for a trial that was set to start in Florida right after Christmas. I had been working day and night not able to spend much time with my family. They were understandably frustrated with me, and to make matters worse, I had not found the time to go out and get our Christmas tree, and here it was just a few days before Christmas. So I was stressed about my upcoming trial, depressed about my prospects about becoming a priest, and at odds with my own family. I was in no mood to go out late at night to pick a Christmas tree, but I went anyway, driving down Wisconsin Avenue toward the tree farm where we always got our tree. On my way there, in the silence of my car, I came to a decision. This business about giving up my law practice to become a priest was crazy. It was taking too much time, too much energy, and was asking too much of my family. I was going to withdraw. Having made up my mind, I arrived at the tree farm. I parked my car, got out, and started wandering amidst the rows of trees, looking for just that right one. It was a cold, clear night. As I looked down one of the rows of trees, suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, emerged a graceful older woman. I did not recognize her at first, but before I knew what happened, she stepped toward me, grabbed my hands in hers, looked me in the eyes, and said, Luther, it's so good to see you. I hope you'll be patient with us. I promise you. All will be well. And as quickly as she emerged from the trees, the woman disappeared. I have no idea why Bishop Dixon was there that night at that time. And I have no idea what, if anything, I said to her. So startled was I by the appearance of this person. But what I do know is that Her utterly unexpected presence that night and the simple words she spoke to me and the gentle touch of her hands led me to where I needed to go. Now the skeptical will call it a coincidence. And I certainly cannot prove that this serendipitous encounter with a bishop late at night in the middle of a grove of Christmas trees was a real epiphany. But I can t- tell you that I experienced this chance meeting as utter grace, as a moment of enlightenment that left no doubt in my mind as to what I should do with my life. Such experiences humble and astound. Maybe you have had one like it, but then again maybe you haven't. God comes to us in all sorts of ways, I've learned. Sometimes he comes in the drama of a vision or a powerful experience, but perhaps more often he shows up in the small and subtle miracles Updike speaks of. The brightening face of a child seeing a butterfly for the first time. The quietly familiar movements of a couple standing barefoot on the beach watching the waves roll the spontaneous smile of a lonely old woman surprised by the visit of a long-lost friend. Sadly, though, most of us usually miss these liminal moments. So preoccupied are we with our own stuff, our worries and fears, our biases and prejudices, our narrow sense of how things should go, We take our ambitions and plans so seriously, and yet in the end they are but shifting and drifting sands. Ironically, if the Bible is to be believed, what matters to God are not these vain pursuits of ours, but rather how alertly, creatively, and compassionately we respond To the grace-filled opportunities and interruptions God sends our way each day. Our chance encounters with strangers. The tug of a grandchild on our sleeve, desperate for our attention. The pain in the eyes of an old friend who could use our consolation. The gift of a crisp, cold, brisk winter morning. As Frederick Buechner once put it, what most people don't realize is that God is right here in the thick of our day-to-day lives, trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around knee-deep in the fragrant muck and misery and marvel of the world. So for God's sake, Buechner says, pay attention Something beautiful and holy is no doubt right under your nose. Paying attention, it turns out, matters. How we pay attention as well as to what we pay attention. You can, if you want, dwell on all the darkness that surrounds us and be dragged down by it. And God knows there is a lot of darkness these days, or, or like the magi, you can attend to the light. At first, the light may seem small and distant, but the thing is, once you see the light and start moving toward it, the light gradually gets bigger and bigger until before you know it, The light is all you see. This weekend, we celebrate the prophetic mystery of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Of his many gifts, one of King's most notable was his vision, his capacity to keep his eyes fixed on the light and to see where God was calling. When he began his ministry in the 1950s, there was no particular reason to think that a black minister in the South would have any chance going up against a Jim Crow culture steeped in centuries of racist thinking and practice. It would have been so easy to become cynical and to despair of the future. And yet, he did not. King kept his eyes and his heart clearly fixed on the light, never losing hope, always moving forward, one step at a time. So let us, in 2023, learn from Dr. King's vision and his willingness to trust in the power of the light. Do not, my friends, be discouraged by the darkness. Indeed, paradoxically enough, the darkness may be there for a reason. For as Dr. King once put it, it is only in the darkness that you can see the stars. Amen.